Grace and peace are yours through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It seems like more and more we are confronted with the reality of death. This weekend we're celebrating Memorial Day, and I'm sure you know it's not just an extended weekend for grilling brats and drinking beer and going out on the boat. But Memorial Day is there to remember people who have served our country and, and died doing that. To remember them and, and to be thankful for them. Death seems to be close at hand, whether you personally or you know someone who's dealing with chronic illness and maybe we're thinking about death even more. We turn on the news and, and we can't escape even thoughtless, senseless, heinous murder happening in our world just this last week. As Christians, we are, you are prepared for death. But maybe you know someone who's not, or or maybe you're not sure, sure that you would have the answer if, if God were to call you home. And he were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? Why should I let you through these gates that we see in Revelation chapter 22? And and I pray and I'm confident that you would all have a good answer for that. But maybe this is something you could share with someone else too. Maybe you have a friend that just isn't certain of what lies beyond the grave. Maybe you know someone who is just hoping for something better, to go to a better place. John hadn't died when he's seeing heaven. He's seeing it in a vision, and it's this vision of God standing in heaven and essentially asking and answering this question, why should I let you into my heaven? Why can I say come into the gates of of heaven? It's a good question for us to just pause and consider. And it's one that God wants Christians to have a sure and certain answer for. Why should I let you into my heaven? Because the the apostle John even wrote in 1 John, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life, so that you can be absolutely certain that heaven is yours. So if we want to be certain about how to get into heaven, then we first of all just have to pause and ask, what does God expect? And as we look at Revelation chapter 22, we get a glimpse of what God might expect of us. Now, a lot of people think that God expects us to try our hardest or to do our best or at least do better than somebody else, but you know that God's standards are vastly higher than that. Jesus calls out, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. And I will give to each person according to what they have done. And that's how a lot of people think maybe, hopefully, they'll be able to make it into heaven based on a reward for what they've done. I hope, I think, I've tried to do enough. But then Jesus declares who it is that's talking when he says this, he says that he is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. This is God himself speaking. 
the one who is before all things, who always was and who always will be, and one of God's other unchangeable attributes is that he is holy and righteous. Jesus is the one who said about his heavenly father what the standard was. It said, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Not, not more perfect than someone else that we can point to and look down on. God the Father is the standard. And Jesus recognizes that there will, people, will be people who are outside of the gates of heaven. He gives some examples of that. So we see what God expects. He, he expects absolutely no sin and perfect holiness to be with him in his heaven. And yet, what does he see when he looks at this world? A lot like what he sees when he looks outside of the gates of heaven in verse 15. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Think about that description. Maybe you think, whew, dodged a bullet. I'm not any of those. I'm not a murderer, but we know that whenever God confronts us with his law, he means us to look deep into it and see our reflection and really take a moment to compare ourselves to what God expects. And, then, and we see out, outside are the dogs. Now, uh, when the, the Jewish people would have referred to the dogs sometimes at that time, they would, they would be talking about Gentiles, non-Jewish people, people who are outside of God's covenant promises. And here we can tell that he's making a category of, of unbelievers who are not able to enter the kingdom of heaven, certainly not based on their actions because they're completely stained with sin. Yet, when you look in general about what, what is going on, what is keeping people out of heaven when they do these things, it does come close to home. Sorcerers are essentially anybody who tries to usurp God's control over creation and to take it into their hands, to try to compel the Almighty God to do what they want him to do. Ever tried to do that? And not satisfied with what he would have for our lives? To be an adulterer or a murderer is even to have lust or hatred within our hearts. Idolaters are those who don't always got, give God the supreme place in their hearts, but, but instead they make other things more important than him. And then he says those who love and who practice falsehood, essentially liars, ever told a lie. Yeah. And, and right away we see that we should be outside of the gates of heaven. And the damnation is certain for anyone who dies in their sins without Christ. Our hearts tell us that people are basically good. But that's not biblical. This is what God sees. That, that we're born in sin. Sinful from birth, sinful from conception. That the sinful heart is is inclined toward evil all of the time that God looked out and he saw wickedness. He saw no one who did good. We need God's law to reveal just how much we need him to rescue us because scrub as hard as we can, 
we can't make this sinful life come out clean. There's a song by the musician Sufan Stevens. It's called John Wayne Gacy Jr. that does kind of a good job of illustrating the truth of our natural depravity and our sinful state. It's, it's an odd song. Sufan in the song is talking about this man who was a horrible serial, serial killer in Chicago, who, who dressed up as a clown and murdered 33 people and hid bodies in the cellar underneath his floorboards. And, and he goes on to talk, to sing in this song about the, the child that he was and how the, the neighbors just adored him for his good conversation and, and didn't notice anything. And then he recounts his horrible actions. But then Sufan Stevens ends the song with these haunting lyrics. And in my best behavior, I am really just like him. Look beneath the floorboards for the secrets I have hid. And that's how this, this ballad ends. I'm not sure exactly what's going on in, in Sufan's Mind is artistic intentions, but what I'm reading can be really consistent with what God's word says. That in, even in my best behavior, in comparison with God's word and God's standards, I, we are just like the unbelieving murderer. What secret evil hides beneath the floorboards of our heart that we conceal and try to keep secret, but God knows? The word of God says that there is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In my best behavior, I am really just like him. Isaiah says all of our righteous acts, our very best, are filthy rags without Christ. In our pride, it's hard to admit how deep and depraved and dangerous our sinful condition is. And when Jesus says, I am coming soon, that's a warning for the unrepentant to turn away from sin and to turn to Christ. This is a loving God, a God who's concerned about us, who wants to turn away us to turn away from dangerous things. And when Jesus says, I am coming soon, it is absolutely comforting for the believer. So God looks down at us. How are you going to come into my heaven? He expects perfection. He sees sin in every one of us, in every part of us. So God needs to come up with a solution for our sin. We can't scrub it out by ourselves, so we need a solution that is outside of ourselves. In verse 16, Jesus talks about how he came with that solution. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches that God gives us his word so that we can hear and learn the truth. And now the spirit and the bride say to us, come and let the one who hears say come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take of the free gift of the water of life. It's an invitation for us to come to the wedding feast of the Lamb. But the only way that we can enter that is if we're wearing the right clothing in a spiritual sense. If we have robes that are washed. And brothers and sisters in Christ, you are wearing robes that are washed and clean. Jesus' blood, the blood of his Son, purifies us from all sin, John says in 1 John 
chapter 1. Jesus' on the death on the cross purifies us from sin. You remember the children's message. Nothing that we can do can scrub our sins away from us, but with Christ and his blood and the water that washes away sin and connects us to Jesus and his resurrection, God sees you as pure and holy, as his dearly loved child who not only has an invitation to come in, but whose name is on the list, who is wearing the right clothes, who looks good and is able to be with him forever. Because Jesus has already absorbed the sins of the world into himself. Isaiah says that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. God's solution for sin is a person where God takes all of our sins that would exclude us from heaven and he places them all, all the iniquity of the world, on his son Jesus where he dies for them on the cross. It's a great exchange and in exchange he gives us forgiveness. He gives us this free gift of the water of life. He gives us the holy, perfect, righteous life of Christ, so often referred to as our robe of righteousness, so that God looks and he sees all of Jesus' perfect life credited to you. So God looks at you and he sees us as holy and perfect, without sin. And we have life. And now Jesus can say things like, my reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what he's done. Because it's not actually a reward for the work that we've done, but it's evidence of the faith given to us by the Holy Spirit that is in our heart. And he says, yes, you are my child. This weekend, we celebrate the ascension of our Lord. It looked like Jesus was going away, but he wasn't. He was making a promise to be with us always. We would just find him in a different way, in his word, in his promises, and in his sacrament. Revelation gives us a picture of victory, and we need it. Because we, like the people that John was writing to, are struggling. We're struggling with sin and persecution and pain and the effects of sin. But Jesus' promises create faith. And faith produces patience and perseverance and hope. Second Corinthians says, Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And so we, with the people of Revelation, pray, come, Lord Jesus, come soon. It seems like every day we see evidence of how, how broken and hard to live in our world is. This weekend we're going to be celebrating a lot of graduations, and even though there's a lot of fun there, there's going to be a lot of anxiety in people's hearts, too, about what's coming next. You may be struggling with health concerns or problems at work or in your family. We need victory from Christ. We're mourning with the families who were victims of the school shootings this week in Texas. And so we pray with the saints in Revelation, come, Lord Jesus. Come now and, and be with us and be with them and give us comfort and peace and give peace to those who mourn. Come back and, and take us to heaven, away from this world of sorrow. Come.
And one day we will see him. Whether it's when he comes back in the same way we saw him go, in his glory where every eye sees him, or whether he calls us to him one day in our death. And God will not actually ask you this question. He will not say, why should I let you into my heaven? There's not going to be a pop quiz, but you have the answer to that question, the confident answer. What could you say? I don't deserve to enter the gates or to drink from this water of life. I deserve to be on the outside because of my sins. But you gave me your robe of righteousness as a gift. You you took my sins and you were punished when I should have been. You covered me with your forgiveness. You purified me with sin. You gave me credit for your perfect and holy life, Jesus. I don't know why, but you've made me your child. And you said I could come in. Why should I let you into my heaven? It's as simple as this. Jesus said I could come in. I write these things to you so that you may know you have eternal life. And so we pray, come Lord Jesus. Amen.